Um, but to get back to uh, Godzilla, though, uh, Godzilla movies, after seeing it yesterday, I actually felt like, you know what, I want to check out some old school Godzilla that I've not seen. And uh, luckily, um, Hulu had a couple Godzilla movies. And cool. I checked out one that I had not seen before called Godzilla vs. Megalon. Oh, this one's interesting. Uh, don't forget that Cetopia has existed for three million years. Right. <laughs> Cetopians, man, can't trust them. So, so the thing <laughs> you know what's funny about this, James okay. Rolfe, uh, the angry. Video he saw game. the video review, right? Well, he did a Godzilla thon several years ago where yeah. he talked about every Godzilla film up to Final Wars, and he talked about the plot of Godzilla versus Megalon. <laughs> there are people who are living under the sea who are angry that people are doing nuclear tests, so they sick their giant cockroach monster Megalon. <laughs> on them he's a, to destroy them and stop the nuclear test. He's like a half cockroach, half fly with drills for Actually, hands. he's more of like a horned beetle. I don't know what the what those are called in Japan, but he has a horn on his head that shoots lightning. So The fun thing about this movie um so yeah, you think that okay, so Godzilla's going to fight this bug monster. No, that's not just what it is. In fact, the thing about this movie is that it started as a completely different movie. Yeah. It started as, you know how sometimes you'll see a movie and you'll think, nah, my, my kid could write that. Well, this movie has a character that was created by a child. Yes. They had like an elementary school contest. Uh, Toho did. So like, and it didn't have to do with Godzilla. It was about just create your own giant robot uh, for a movie. Because this was about the time that Ultraman yeah, and uh, it became popular, and so Toho was trying to cash in. Yeah, and they wanted their own robot character, and so this kid created this character named Jetto Jago, Jetto Jaga, or Jet Jaguar, Jet Jaguar, Jet Jaguar, which is such a cool name for a character. And it's he, he totally re- a name that a ten-year-old would come up with. Yeah, I found that charming. And then yeah, and basically in this movie, these characters uh, create this robot. And then they're pursued by these other characters uh, who want to take over the robot and, I guess, also control Megalon? I guess. Because there's also another character named Gigan. 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 I don't know how to pronounce that. Um, And he comes into the fight as well. The last, like, 20, 30 minutes of the movie is just a big fight. Yeah. And but I with one of the most ridiculous Godzilla moments ever made. Oh, you mean when he k- picks up his feet and flings himself to kick the opponent? There is only one moment that's been sillier than this, and it's not the moment where he and Angerus talk to each other. It's another moment <laughs> where little word balloons pop up. Nah, that's even less silly. <laughs> so there's like there are two moments where Godzilla speaks. Okay. I will show you what I'm talking about. See, later. the thing is, like, <laughs> I, the, to say this movie is cheesy is like saying a match is hot. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's performed and delivered with with total sincerity, and I can't help but laugh and smile as I watch it. Mystery Science Theater riffed this. I'd be curious to see that. The, like, and this is the one film that's been on Mystery Science Theater. Which I saw before I saw the Mystery Science Theater version. Well, now I'm going to be that guy because I haven't seen the, uh, I haven't seen the Mystery Science Theater. Mystery but... Science Theater Bros, high five! Yay! Yes, um, that's but what yeah, life there's... is all about. Because I didn't think it was that. All right, if you ask me objectively, like, ele- like the nine-year-old Jack would give this like four and a half out of five stars. Four thumbs up. Yeah. 
Whereas, you know, 32-year-old Jack, you know, I give it less. Yeah. Um, that's that's probably the story with me, too. Yeah, but I couldn't help but smile and watch it. You know, it's it's Godzilla in his, hey, I'm a good guy Godzilla phase. Right. Uh, you know, he gets summoned by J- Jaguar, even though, because he's not really in the movie until at, at the halfway point. Yeah. Because the characters are like, we can't stop this, uh, this, this, uh, Megalon character. Jaguar, go get Godzilla. And he's like, okay. And yeah, then he goes I know get, where he lives. Yeah, and <laughs> that you also have a lot of suspense because Godzilla is very slowly moving through the water. <laughs> <laughs> but then once Godzilla gets into it, then it's like, all right, let's just have like a big wrestling match. Yeah. Um, and you know, I mean, go into this. You're not expecting like Robert Bresson or something like that. It's <laughs> it's Godzilla fighting a big bug. Um, so I had that fun experience. I want to finish the thing I said about James Rolfe. Okay. He described the plot and he basically said, all right, this doesn't make any sense. This is like if I was living in my house and a neighbor that I didn't know existed was angry that I was playing a loud music. So he sicked his pet tiger on me through my (laughs) dead room door to make me stop playing loud music. Oh yeah. And the movie's very (laughs) seventies. That's the thing that I noticed. It was so like... From the music to, like, other things that were going on, like, so 70s. But I kind of, I, I enjoyed it. Even but though 70s I, Japan, so it's slightly less familiar. The music kind of dates it a bit. Yes. But the, but, you know, hey, it's, it's Godzilla. He's, again, this is what I was saying before. He ha- does a lot of, like, the hand movements. Right. Where he's not saying anything, but his hand motions say, like, the world. Yeah. And, and I even enjoy how, like, J- Jaguar, he grows in size. Yeah, so that he can inexplicably. Fight. Yeah, and like because the character just says, "Why is Jaguar doing this?" I don't know. His mind must have just uh, taken off life of its own. I and mean, at least in the Power Rangers, there was a reason for the monsters to get huge. It was yeah. like, "Oh, well, make the power do the thing." Yeah. And just as a note, I really I've decided that I'm going to try to watch a few more Godzilla movies oh, coming up. The one at, that's at the top of my list, and that, this is after checking out some of those godzilla-thon videos godzilla versus the smog monster yeah that's where you're going amazing that's where you're going to find godzilla's most ridiculous moment (laughs) well just the whole movie looks crazy yeah and like and like he fights a monster that looks a bit like the you remember in princess mononoke at the opening of that movie the 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 big squiggly monster thing yeah that seems like his foe in this. Uh, Hedadora, is that the character? Hedera. Hedera. And, but the whole movie, from what this review showed me, it looks so psychedelic. Yeah. It looks like if Sesame Street uh, partnered with a Godzilla movie. Awesome. All right, so I'm going to watch that. You know which one I'd recommend? Mm-hmm. Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. Because oh. you've seen Terror of Mechagodzilla. Okay. It's decent. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm going to check out a few of those, and I'll report back next time we podcast. Awesome. Um, now, one thing I should mention that recently, uh, especially in the past week or so, um, I've kind of need movies as an escape. Yeah. Uh, because the real world is marriage, getting... right? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> marriage, man. Sorry. I was kind of saying that with my wife in the background. Um, no, but, um, but I've needed some distractions because of just the political landscape and how ugly it's getting and how uh distressing and stressful it is uh so i saw um so i watched 
all the president's men, which brought me back to a simpler time. Uh, then I watched Nixon and reminded myself what real political corruption was like when you had a guy like being like, ha, 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 I'll cut your fucking head off. Um, he actually says that in the movie. Um, no, I watched a Beatles movie that is now out in theaters. Oh. Um, it's limited. It's called Eight Days a Week, The Touring Years. And now there have been other Beatles documentaries. And seeing this, I was new going in. Okay, I have seen the Beatles anthology documentary, which is kind of like the Beatles uh, done by Ken Burns in yeah. a way, because it's like a 10-hour Beatles do uh, documentary. Yeah, I really like that documentary. I've watched it many times. So I was wondering, okay, is this going to teach me anything or tell me anything I don't already know? And it actually does. Huh. Because it only covers... It's, it's roughly about an hour and a half or a little bit over than that, but it just covers the years of like 1963 to when they stopped touring and went in the studio and made Sgt. Pepper. Right. Um, and so you, um, it also, it focuses on them as a band, of course, but it also focuses on the world that they were kind of encountering when they went to America. And I didn't notice about them that they kind of broke up segregation at live concerts. Huh. So it was like, they went to the show in uh, Florida and they were told, uh, so yeah, you're going to have, uh, your audience is going to be segregated. And they're like, why would you separate people? It's a rock concert. Well, and and it wasn't even, lads. I, I don't know what, 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 why would you separate people? It's, it's a rock concert, you know? I, 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 I didn't know why we were doing that, so <laughs> I just played the drums. So, um, so yeah. And like they, it wasn't even that they were angry about it. They were just kind of confused. Like, really? This is what you do here? Um, I mean, again, maybe they didn't have that problem in England, so... I don't know. Um, but, yeah, and then they, they kind of broke it up and made it that they had to make it desegregated to play their show. And after that, there was never another desegregated concert in the South, ever. Really? Something like that. Well, to be fair, not so soon after that than the Civil Rights Act was passed. They probably left that out. But this was right before that. And I would also like to read this part of the act that thanks the Beatles for ending segregation. <laughs> Lyndon Johnson made sure to put that in small print. Um, but there's just a lot of interesting stuff. I mean, you, uh, the fact that the Beatles just couldn't... Uh, they were able to perform almost in spite of the audiences mm. because the audience was filled with nothing but screaming girls. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when they're screaming like that all the time, it's like they couldn't hear themselves play. Today, they could just have, like, earpieces and be in tune like that. But they had, like, Ringo at one point says, I, I, I could only keep up by looking at the back of John and Paul and seeing how they would shimmy and wiggle their asses. Yeah. And I would know the beat to the songs. Technology back then was a lot different. I mean, nowadays you mic all the instruments, you mic all the instruments, yeah. including the drum. Mm -hmm. I mean, back then, they didn't have much of that. Yeah, but this movie... It, it was much needed for me. I mean, aside from being a Beatles fan, it's just hearing these songs and getting that atmosphere of joy that they brought, you know, especially because it came right... Like, they they, they hit the United States just after JFK was shot. Yeah. And Paul McCartney's like, yeah, it was a scary time, but, you know, we were in our own heads. You know, we had to be Beatles. And that was what was great about them. They were just Beatles. Mm -hmm. They didn't make it too political. They were just about, like... You know, I want to hold your hand and please, please me and all that kind of stuff. Like, seeing... It's weird, because I've seen their performance on Ed Sullivan, All My Loving, which they did yeah. on the show. I've seen that many times, and yet seeing it this time, I just kind of felt very emotional. Because hmm. I'm like, 
70 million people are watching this at the same time. Yeah. And you don't really get that anymore. No. So, yeah, The Beatles. Uh, so go see it. Also, if you see it in theaters, they will show you the entire Shea Stadium concert. Huh. Like, they have, like, the entire half hour they performed, and it's, like, restored and plays really well. Um, so you had something you wanted to talk about. Yeah, I uh, saw a movie that I kind of just saw on a whim. I just thought of it. Okay. And i like, what movie am I thinking of? I'll see it. And it's Grand Hotel. Okay. Have you ever seen Grand Hotel? I've heard of it. It's uh, from the late 30s, right? right. Um, this is the film. If you Greta don't, Garbo? Yeah. Okay. This is the film where you get the line, I want to be alone. Is that a famous line? Yes. Okay. It, it's like Greta Garbo's most favorite famous line. All right. I just, God, I should have known that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it takes place in Berlin. All it's right. about all these characters who stay in the Grand Hotel in Berlin. Mm-hmm. And it follows about seven different characters as they go throughout their lives. There's uh, there's John Barrymore, who's more or less our main character. He's this thief. Yeah. Uh, really roguish, handsome thief. Mm-hmm. Kind of a nice guy, but he also has to steal stuff. Yeah. Uh, there's Greta Garbo, who plays this ballerina, mm-hmm. further convincing us through movies that ballet is a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a few other characters, but one of them is Ly- is Lionel Barrymore. Okay. Who's who you'll know in podcast land as Mr. Potter from It's a Wonderful Life. Oh. And he is great in this. Hmm. He plays this guy who's just very ill and he doesn't have very long to live and he's this very meek uh, desk clerk. Mm-hmm. And he's he knows he's going to die and he just wants to live it up he's been working like all of his life in a factory and he and you really get attached to him he's so pleasant and he's cute for lack of a better word he's like the 1930s equivalent of crispin glover <laughs> but he, he plays such a sweet character which is so, and which is really uh amazing when you only think about him as mr potter from it's a wonderful life like the most sour uh, grumpy person you could even think of. So this guy, so very different performance. Yeah, I always like that when you find like these good character guys who can really change it up like that. I mean, mm. that that's a big mark of you know you know how to do a movie really well to make me suddenly realize that you are very different from how I saw you in another movie. Yeah, but it's a it's just a, a really cool character piece. Yeah. Okay. Right, so I, how'd you come about it? Well, I just, I was thinking about that line. It's like, I, I, uh, I want to be alone. I'm like, what, what is that from? Were, were you wanting to be alone? No. <laughs> I'm sorry. And I was just thinking, well, that's a line from, that's a famous line from a movie. I don't even know what movie is. It's probably yeah. one I should see. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened I was thinking about it in a library, and my library happened to have it. Yeah. In, on the shelf, so I just got it. Cool. On a whim. I love it when I do things like that. Yeah, and it just and it was just totally worth it. Go for more whims in your life. You'll yeah. be happier. Um, I'd like to give a shout out to some Korean movies that I saw.
Um, I mean, I saw a few movies, but two I want to particularly mention. One is called Train to Busan. Okay. And another is called The Age of Shadows. Very different films, but very much, you know, very kind of set in Korea. Um, Train to Busan is, uh, in its way, a little bit, not quite, but if you took a, a zombie or infection movie scenario and crossed it with Snowpiercer, uh, you have like this zombie outbreak that is going all over the place in Korea. It's happening though while these characters are going on this train that is just going from one part to this city called Busan, right. which is uh, it's a ways away. It takes a while to get there by train. Um, That's in I believe Southeast Korea. Okay, I think I, I'll, I'll, I'll take your word for it. I, I wasn't really paying attention to the geography of it, um, but. What happens is somebody gets on who is infected, and this is the type of uh, zombie outbreak that, you know, you get bitten and you turn within, like, 15, 20 seconds. That's it's like cheating. That. Why is that cheating? Because we used to, it used to be, like, you had at least, like, a day where you waited till you died. Yeah, well, the Romero stuff's getting old, so you have to piece me up a little bit. Life is so fast these days. I know. Um, but it makes for a very intense viewing because... You have, not unlike Snowpiercer, you have this situation where a lot of characters in the back are having to deal with this outbreak while people in the front are trying to block off people from coming up to their section because they, they're like, no, you're going to infect us, you're going to infect us, even though a lot of these people aren't infected. But You can like, just break off the cars. Not quite in the way that them. this happens. Not quite in how this train works. It, it's, okay. But I would have to see the movie. Yeah, it is extremely well done. Just because it it focuses on the characters, it focuses on like this father and daughter who have been kind of estranged for a while because the father's kind of like he he just been focusing on his work all the time, and his the daughter's like, please take me to Busan, please take me to Busan. I want to see my mother because uh, they're divorced, and he's yeah. like, fine, fine, fine. We'll go to Busan, and so he takes her on this trip. All of a sudden, there's a zombie outbreak. He has to kind of man up now. I find that sort of plot device to be really bothersome. It can be bothersome, but this time it's done extremely well. Uh, the, well, I, one of the poorer examples I can think of is in Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds. Huh, I didn't even think of that when I yeah, saw it, but now that it you could say be it... that in general yeah. that film is not very good. Hmm. Uh, it's... It has problems. I, I wouldn't say it's I, I, bad, but it does have issues. I remember re writing a review of War of the Worlds, and I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah, and I was thinking, and I wrote seriously, in a world where everybody is being killed by Martians, why the hell should I care about you and your family? <laughs> we'll get back at them. We'll, we'll get. We'll, we'll we'll get back at them. Yeah. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah, the the family part of that was, but the important thing to mention is you actually like this fa this this family okay you like well that well daughter. that's a good step and you also have other good characters that you can invest in so if you are if you think that the zombie type of movie has really washed up and doesn't have anything else to say um um then i think that i would really recommend this one i it's really a cut above the rest and it, it even gets i even got a little bit emotional near the end with some of the turns it takes like it's not the whole thing doesn't take entirely on the train. Like, there are a couple moments where people do get off, and you think, like, okay, maybe they're finally off this train. Nope, they gotta get back on. Uh, that's saying too much why. <laughs> it's like the exterminating angel. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's like the extraordinary angel meets 28 days later meets Snowpiercer. There See? you go. There we go. Um, now, another movie that I mentioned, Age of Shadows. This is uh, a... Not, I'm not going to say... Not World War II. It takes place in Korea during a time which I didn't really know about when Japan occupied Korea. Yeah. Like the 1920s. Japan occupied Korea up until the end of the World War of the Second World War. Oh, okay. I want to say that it started in the 19th century, but I'm not sure. It yeah. happened for a very yeah, long see, time. Yeah, see, the thing is, I didn't even know about that history, but the director of this movie is a guy who I like very much. His name is Kim Ji-Woon, who is responsible for movies like I Saw the Devil, uh, Tale of Two Sisters, uh, The Good, the Bad, and the Weird. Um, oh, I've seen that. Yeah. This is very much, though, like a very coolly done but very at times suspenseful and at times very violent uh spy movie in a sort in a way like it, it had it's like this cop is uh this ex he's this korean who's been brought into the japanese police force um but the other but this korean resistance group wants to try to you know attack the japanese in you know undercover ways and they recruit this uh Japanese officer who little not Japanese this Korean Japanese officer becomes part of the group. Um, it it reminded me a lot of this Jean Pierre Melville movie I really like called Army of Shadows, uh, and I feel like the titles are not like an accident. I feel like this guy has seen this other movie, which is actually a World War Two Nazis French Resistance type movie, um, and kind of brought a little bit of that aesthetic to his own style, except that his style is also extremely violent and at times tough to watch if you ever see i saw the devil that is a movie that at times can be very horrific and very uh, grim at times this goes to that but there are also a lot of parts that redeem the movie into being something where you like yeah 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 kind of like that it takes a while to get there but if you have uh if you like movies that have a pace that you can take your time with watching it this is one to really get into uh, for just really great characters and moments maybe not unlike maybe St. Glorious Bastards where you're just waiting for your, the tension is just building and building and building and then it's like the course it rips open and the yeah. you know the, the, the flesh and violence kind of comes out um, I saw Young Frankenstein again Okay, I saw that in the theater and I just say that movie holds up extremely well Although it, not quite my favorite Mel Brooks movie, I have to say. Like, it, I, I still love it. It might be, like, my third favorite among what I call kind of like the big three, which are the producers, Blazing Saddles, and this. Um, like, I don't think I'd seen the movie in a while, but there are just little things this time that I noticed that made me lose it. There's a moment where, have you seen the movie? Yes. There's a moment where uh, Igor, quote-unquote, he um, he he slips into a Groucho Marx imitation uh, when uh, Madeline Kahn comes to the castle and uh, Igor, will you get the bags? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He he's helping her with her bags and he says Suddenly, some line. I'll I'll take the blonde and you take the one in the toyman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And he does exactly like Groucho Marx, yeah. and it's so great because the movie slips in these little moments where they wink at the camera, but they don't do it too much. Like, they, they try to do a little bit more of a sincere movie, even though it's still very, very silly. Yeah. 
you know, this is the movie where they coined the phrase, walk this way. In fact, Aerosmith saw this movie and immediately went into the studio and recorded Walk This Way, the song. You just made that up. No, I'm serious. All right, I'll no, believe you. Th- dude, look it up. Hey, what? hey who are you going to believe me? Me and your own eyes. Um, yeah. um, talking about a disaster movie, though, a different kind of disaster movie, I also saw Deep Water Horizon. Yeah. Now, do you know anything about this movie? It's about oil. A little bit it's and a, a man it's about an oil man you would agree uh, <laughs> no <laughs> no this is a very different oil man story uh this is about the bp uh oil spill right. um and what led up to it and the fact that what you know, a lot of people obviously know that in the gulf of, new, of gulf of Me- gulf of new mexico gulf of mexico their bp had a gigantic oil spill of hundreds of millions of, of gallons of oil um but this shows how that happened and how a lot of uh greed kind of led up to this and a lot of mismanagement but not by everybody like it, it kind of goes to show how there like there were parts of like the people who were really blue collar workers were just actually trying to tell bp people hey um you know you need to keep like safety people around we need to do a couple more tests and like B, like John Malkovich plays this uh, BP executive. Who else? Yeah, and he's like, well, we could make a eight hundred eighty-five million or a hundred eighty-six million, or it was billion. Sorry, um, why was I saying million? Um, there, this movie is uh, really exhilarating, but also at times very depressing because it's just the number of there are like eleven people who died in this gigantic explosion. Because it came from all this mud that backed up, and then it just set everything off in this oil rig that was on the Gulf of Mexico. So a gigantic fire was going off. And it's like, in a way, it's not unlike Armageddon, except that if it took place on Earth, and if you gave a damn about the characters. Hmm. And Mark Wahlberg is quite good, because he he, he seems to have a knack for being blue-collar uh, everyman. Uh, in lowering his levels of, of, of stuff. Kurt Russell's also in it, and he's great, as he always is, but here he also does a really commendable job. Um, so, yeah, I would recommend Deep Water Horizon if you see that in theaters. Um, see, even Daniel Plainview wouldn't have let that happen. No, probably not. He, uh, he, you know, he, he, he would let certain things happen. No matter how much he hates people. Yeah. <laughs> I drink your milkshake. Um, I also, uh, I, I filled a very much, uh, I, I filled a, ca- a gap in my movie watching that had been there for a long time. Uh, I saw Roadhouse. Ah, this is fun. <laughs> Have you ever seen Roadhouse? Oh yeah, I've seen Roadhouse. Really? Yeah. When did you see Roadhouse? Oh, a few years ago. Okay. Okay. Um, fun fact, this was the very first movie ever done for Rift Tracks. Makes sense. Mike Nelson was just such a big fan of this movie. He's like, I want to riff this. Yeah, in Santa Claus, in, in the Mystery Science Theater episode, Santa Claus Con- Conquers the Martians, they make a plethora of Roadhouse jokes. <laughs> nice. It's like, oh, what movie are we watching today? Well, it's either Santa Claus Conquers the Martians or Roadhouse, but I can't tell which. <laughs> I mean, even back then. In the 90s, they knew that Roadhouse was probably the dumbest thing they had ever seen. It's interesting because the movie got um, 
it got a bunch of Razzie nominations mm. uh, when it first came out. I, it's dated as hell, uh-huh. but I think it still kicks ass. I think it's it, it's got a it is dated, but it's a charming sort of dated where it's like it's cheesy now. Oh yeah, the way I I coined this phrase in my review of the movie, I call it a chicken fried steak of a movie. Mm. But I, I occasionally I'll eat a chicken fried steak. Right. <laughs> Those are good. Yeah, why not? Um, you know, because Patrick Swayze, he really does command this role. Yeah. Um, we talked about actors that before with Lionel Barrymore that it's that oh you're in It's Wonderful Life. Well, you should also see him in Grand Hotel. This the villain of the movie Ben Gazzara. Right. Who he's so like cold and calculating, and he just like is like. I'm going to take over this town. I wouldn't so much call him cold and calculating as he does terrible things and apparently no one can do anything about them despite how blatantly harmful they are. The first time we see him in the movie, he's just dri- driving his car completely recklessly on the road. Yeah. And, and almost drive like makes uh, Patrick Swayze drive off the road. Yeah, and one of his men like drives a monster truck through a dealership. <laughs> and it's like, you could see... There's nothing to prevent anyone from arresting you for doing that. <laughs> well, I it's mean, like no well, other well, place in the world exists except this town. It's so weird that they. I mean, the a couple of characters mention he has the sheriff and the cops all in his pocket, and then somebody else mentions, "Well, maybe we should call the FBI." Why not? They never do it. <laughs> well, but 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 the thing I was about to mention with Ben Gazzara, he I've seen this actor in a number of movies. Um, Coincidentally, Sam Elliott and Ben Gazzara show up in The Big Lebowski, mm-hmm. um, so that's kind of an interesting crossover. Sam Elliott, I mean... Sam Elliott's great in this movie. Here's the thing. This is a dumb movie, and it's probably dated, but it's not like you dislike any of the characters They They commit film. to it. Um, they commit to it, and they have a certain charm. Yeah. Um, Patrick Swayze and Sam Elliott especially. Well, I was about to say about Ben Gazzara, though. He was in this movie in the 70s that I, that I like very much. Uh, I almost say I love it. It's called The Killing of a Chinese Bookie. Mm-hmm. In that, he plays like this owner of a like a strip club, and but he's very humble in a way. Like he's very like you can kind of you want to root for this guy, but then he gets drafted to kill this Chinese bookie to sell some debts, and he it's like the it's kind of like the opposite of this character, but he plays it the same way. Mm. So it's kind of interesting to see how. He's not too far apart from it, but because he chooses to do it this way, it makes it kind of dynamic. <laughs> yeah. Because Ben Gazzara, he never gets over-exaggerated. He never turns into like an Al Pacino type. He doesn't chew the scenery. No, that's the thing that I love about it. He could have easily chewed up the scenery, but he doesn't. People would have encouraged him to chew the scenery in a film like this. I feel like there are a couple... Probably they leave some of the scene chewing to more like the low-level actors yeah. like characters who are in the bar yeah um you're my new saturday night thing <laughs> well i also said in my review like the team up of patrick swades and sam elliott makes Cruz and kilmer and top gun look like my little pony <laughs> <laughs> they're like a little tango in cash yeah in that, in, in that uh thing in that in that roadhouse yeah because you could really feel how much they're friends with each other and yeah. it, it, it makes it stand out. They, so, those two actors have a chemistry. 
Yeah. And, you know, Sam Elliott, he's this rough guy, but, you know, the way he acts around women, he seems like just like a real gentleman, too. Yeah. Like someone you'd want to hang out with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Quite... It's weird. It's not a good movie. No, but... it but has I, its charm. I, I enjoyed it. I was watching it, and I was like... I've, I've heard hipsters say, like, man, this is the best movie ever made. And, of course, I had to take that with a little bit of grain of salt. Right. But I thought... I think I was expecting it to be much worse. Well, yeah, that's a, that's a reasonable expectation. Yeah, so that was the thing that happened. It's just one of those weird films that just... Yeah. And I gotta mention this really fast, though. Um, I saw The Birth of a Nation. Oh, Not yeah. the old one, though. The one I saw. Yeah, I saw the one that just, like... I gotta give it to Nate Parker. Just... The, the title choice alone is one of... Is the most daring thing in movies this year. Yeah. To take on what is often cited as the as the most important and yet the most hateful movie in american history yeah people try to sidestep the original birth of a nation and they try to ex- some people try to explain it away some people try to get some people try to focus on its use of cinematic creation of cinematic language and yes. the artistry of dw griffith with it which is valid uh but uh, but you are still just skirting around the main point of that film. Yeah. And now here's someone who's coming up to really confront it. Yeah. Well, uh, the thing is, do, do you know much about uh, um, Nat Turner? I don't know much about. I don't know any specifics about him. I know that he led a. Uh, I know that he re- led a slave rebellion yes. that resulted in the deaths of a lot of white yeah. slave owners yeah well well i had well, I, like about 30 but you know yeah i've read a little bit about him um what this guy nate parker does he uh he i guess you could say he almost pulls a little bit of norson wells because he wrote directed produced and stars in the movie as nat turner um suffice to say he's not a norson wells <laughs> no um now this movie isn't terrible though um it it came with a lot of hype it's no roadhouse. No. Yeah. <laughs> Nat Turner is no Dalton. Hmm. I'll tell you that. He, he I think we can agree on that. He, he is not like <laughs> Nat Nat Turner won't take a knife in the shoulder and just like be like, eh. It's my way or the highway. <laughs> yes. Um the the rest of the movie doesn't quite reach up to the provocation of the title to me. Like basically, what happened is is that it like this movie made a big splash at Sundance. It sold to Fox for like seventeen million dollars, hmm. big the biggest deal in Sundance ever. So they were clearly aiming it to be this big Oscar contender. And with one exception, I don't really see it becoming a big Oscar movie. It's a little too conventional. It it. <clears throat> This guy really wanted to take this character named Nat Turner and make a Braveheart movie set during slave times, which, you know, that's that's fine. Um, but it does it does seem very a very conventional thing to do. Yeah, I mean, again, with Braveheart, like he he, he changes a, apparently a lot of what happened in Nat Turner's story, which isn't necessarily a terrible thing. I mean, people change history all the time for movies that can still make for. A compelling viewing yes but if while you're watching it you get the sensation like hmm something doesn't quite smell right about this yeah that can be a problem and that i think was something i had a problem with watching this movie like this is the kind of movie where 
Jackie Earl Haley plays the typical snarling slave owner who ends up having, like, you don't see him through the whole movie, but he has a little bit of, like, a back and forth with uh, the Nat Turner character. And in the movie, it's it's supposed to be show, show that he raped uh, Nat Turner's wife. I say this because in real life, this didn't happen. Nat Turner it's just... It's not a spoiler if it didn't happen. Like, Nat Turner decided to, in real life, Nat Turner decided to rebel against his slave owners because they were slave owners. Yeah. In this, it's more like the Braveheart thing where they killed and they raped and killed my wife. I must get avenge. Right. Revenge. Actually, they don't I don't think they kill his wife in this. But the point is it makes it more conventional than it need to be. Yeah. Like it, it gives him too many like we need to give this character a motivation or conflict where slavery is enough. Yeah. You know, what they were doing during slavery that and they do show that to be fair, and it is gruesome, as well it should be. I think the problem is, too, is that this comes not so soon after 12 Years a Slave, which is kind of like the Schindler's List of slave movies. Yeah, which it's, is... It's set a high watermark for what artistry can do to Which that is topic. saturated in authenticity. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, it also treats faith in such a way, the movie, because apparently Nat Turner was like a preacher. Yeah. And so he becomes in a little bit like a Jesus Christ figure. It becomes that <laughs> much of a thing. Braveheart did that as well. Yeah. Um, so the one thing I would say, though, is actually, ironically, the, my favorite part of the movie is Army Hammer, who plays the uh, slave owner of Nat Turner. Yeah. And he's like the one character who actually goes through a transformation in the movie. Because he starts off as somebody who's really more like, well, I mean, I actually don't dislike you i I don't want to hurt you but you're my slave so i do have to tell you what to do but you know he's pretty friendly with him in a way um which a lot of slave owners were sometimes like that there was like hey you're our family we're just gonna make you work yeah um now but the thing is over the course of the movie he kind of gets transformed by the institution of slavery his family gets poorer he needs to he becomes really embittered and army hammer does a great job of playing this and it's like watching the movie, I'm like, damn, Army Hammer might have the best chance of getting an Oscar nomination. <laughs> I like Army Hammer. He, I do. We talked I, about Lone I, Ranger not too long ago. Yeah, and I Lone Ranger is not perfect. I have problems with it. But he was good in the Lone Ranger. He was yeah. even good in Mirror Mirror, mm. the, the crappy Snow White film, which was somehow better than Snow White and the Huntsman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like I, I like him. I, I'm glad to hear that he did, uh, did really well in this film, too. Yeah. Um, okay, two more movies, and that's it, really quickly. Um, I saw the new Tim Burton movie, Miss Peregrine's Home for P- Peculiar Children. Yes. Which is a bit no like... No hilarious Eva Green sex scene in this one? No, not quite. Uh, she does turn into a bird. Okay, bird sex. So there's that. Uh, not bird sex. Oh, um, Tim Burton gets to kind of have his own, uh, Jason the Argonaut skeleton fight. Cool. Which is kind of awesome. Uh, there's a bit of the X-Men in it, but there's also some Harry Potter. Uh, I, this is probably the most enjoyable fantasy type, uh, like genre type of Tim Burton movie I've had in a while. Uh, it's probably since Sweeney Todd or maybe even Sle- uh, Sleepy Hollow. So it's been a while. All right. Um, and then lastly, documentary wise, bring it back around, uh, to important figures, uh, Hitchcock Truffaut is a documentary I recommend highly. It just follows uh, 
how Francois Truffaut wanted to interview his favorite director and made one of the most famous books of all time, in my opinion, which is Hitchcock Truffaut. And if you ever get into movies, I think we might have even talked a little bit about Hitchcock Truffaut in a Hitchcock-related episode a right. while back. And there's a reason for that, because you learn, you can learn like the grammar of filmmaking from reading that book nice. and get a good view into this man's mind. Um, so yeah, the, those are some movies I've seen recently. Um, I don't know. I don't know, how, <laughs> I don't know how else to end this segment. Uh, if there are movies that you've seen that you want to talk about, if you have any thoughts about the movies we uh, discussed in our uh, podcast just now, if you saw Shin Godzilla and want to tell Andrew, or something like that, if you want to make monster noises at him, uh, send us an email, cinema at gmail.com. Uh, we're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash wagesofcinema and twitter.com slash wagesofcinema. Uh, make sure to subscribe to us. We're on SoundCloud and iTunes. And uh, and give us a review or give us a rating. And we've gotten a couple of really nice uh, mentions from people. Uh, we talked last time about uh, this guy that sent us a message on Facebook who uh, we really appreciated. Um, he actually sent us another uh, message and uh, we'll follow up with you at another time fernando <laughs> so thanks fernando uh, yeah thank you mr perez for following us and um when we come back andrew is going to get into a little giallo action so not the jello i mean giallo by the way oh i got confused for a second yeah you, you thought you were gonna get into the giallo giallo footage.